you would, turn to the Gospel of John. It's where we find ourselves again this morning in the first chapter. We get to continue our little series we're doing for Christmas, looking at John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18 together. Last week, we saw John introduce us to John the Baptist, and so we spent some time looking at John the Baptist and his calling, what God had called him to do to prepare the way of the Lord, to, to point people to to Jesus, that it wasn't about him and his ministry necessarily, but it was about, it was about Christ. It was all about, about him, and John was faithful to do that. And Today we know that we as believers still have that calling in our lives. We get to point people to Christ. That's something that we have the privilege of being able to do, to share that he is their hope. He's their love, their joy, and their peace that we celebrate during Christmas time uh, together. In these verses... Uh, here that we focused on, John is trying to highlight for us the important of the importance of the Word of God, that the Word of God uh, was God, that is God, the Word of God comes and dwells among us. This is John's whole focus, and he also talks a lot about uh, the light, which we'll see more this morning, and that this light has come for mankind. This really is the whole focus of John's gospel. The man who is the, the word, Jesus, again being made flesh. And John will spend a lot of, of time in his gospel uh, talking about that. And we'll, we'll see some of those instances again uh, this morning. But this morning, as we gather together, our main focus is, is Christ. It's, it's Jesus. That, that's why we're here together, because of what he has uh, done for us. And, and today, I, I really have the, the privilege of focusing on verses 9 through 13. And in verses 9 through 13... <clears throat> It really is a beautiful section that explains who Jesus is, that explains what he came to do and what he has done. And so I really don't have a difficult task this morning. I, I didn't have to come up with a lot of ways to outline this or anything because really John does such a, a good job here that we just get to go line by line and seeing what he's clearly laid out for us. And the goal, I hope this morning, is that as we get to verse 13, that we will see the, the majesty of Jesus today. That we'll be able to see why we gather together. And I think that's a, a good goal. I don't know how you feel every Sunday when you drive uh, to church. I'm sure there's a lot of different factors that play in how you feel. But I hope this morning that when you leave, you'll be able to leave saying, it was good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It was good maybe for some of us to be reminded of Christ, to be reminded of Jesus and who he is and what he has done. Or maybe for some of you uh, to leave this morning for the first time saying, I believe this Jesus is real. Uh, I believe in what he has done and what the Bible tells us about him. And so I hope that will be uh, the case some this morning. So follow along with me. John chapter 1. Beginning in verse 9, reading to verse 13. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
First, we look at verse 9, and in verse 9, we see that the light is coming. This is what John says. He starts off by talking about the true light. Now, John wants to leave no room for error at all as we read this and what he is saying here. What he is speaking about is the one true light that the world desperately needs and that the world has been waiting for. It's not, notice he doesn't say it's one of the true lights, but no, it, it is the true light. Very, very specific, and this is a very big statement. In fact, it's an astounding statement that John says here, because what he is getting across to uh, the people that he's writing to and to us this morning is that there is no more wondering. There's no more wondering or no more waiting is when will this happen? When will the true light come? No. And what will the, and even at maybe asking the question, what will this true light do? John is making a very definitive statement here. The true light. Okay, the one that everybody's been waiting for, the one that everybody needs. This is the light that I am talking about, that is being discussed. And so he says the true light, and then he knows it says another huge statement, which gives light to everyone. Now, we must read this statement here that John is saying here and really understand what he is saying. Really grasp what is happening. He says gives light to everyone. Now, if you do a lot of study on this passage, you'll see there's a lot of theological, what I call rigmarole, uh, going on with this to try to understand exactly uh, what John is getting at. And I think, again, we need to read for what it says. We know that the Bible doesn't teach anywhere some sort of uh, universalism, some sort of uh, idea that everybody, everybody who's ever been born will be in heaven. That, that would be a universalism, that, that Jesus came, and what we can take by this statement is, see, look, the true light, which gives light to everyone. So, so everybody's good. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible is very clear as you read the Gospel of John, as you read the Gospels, the Epistles, all this. That's not the case. That there will be some who trust in the light, there'll be others who don't, and as a result of that, uh, we can see in Matthew's Gospel that there's there's wheat and then there's chaff. There's, there's going to be a separation in the day of judgment. And so we know that what John's not getting at here is some sort of, of universalism. Yet what John is saying here is in fact true. That Jesus is the light for everybody. And that's simply because there is no other light. There is no other light. He alone is the light of the world. I, I read an example uh, in, in one of the books that I was reading that said, if you live in a town, and let's say in that town there is only one doctor or there's only one teacher. Let's say there's only one teacher in town. That teacher is the teacher of the town. Now, you as a town folk might choose not to go to that teacher. You might choose not to listen to that teacher. But that doesn't change the fact that they are the teacher of that town. They're the one and only teacher of that town. And if, if you want to go to the teacher, this is the teacher that you have to to go to. They're the teacher. Another good example would maybe be like the president. We try to say things like so-and-so is not our president. Guess what? They are. They're your president, whether you like it or not, right? Uh, you can maybe not treat them like that or whatever, but they are the president. And they say uh, in, in some of the commentaries that this is what we can see in Christ. He is the light of the world. Now, there are going to be those who say, no, he's not. 
Well, that's okay. You can say that, but he is. <laughs> you can't find it anywhere else. You can, you can try. You can try to come up with some other strategy or some other way to push back the darkness that's in this world, but it doesn't exist. It's not there. It can only be found in Jesus. And, and that's what John is trying to get across here. He's saying the true light, which gives light to everyone, to all people, he alone is the light in the darkness of their life. And John says this light, what does he say, is coming into the world. John is saying this light is not far off. Uh, this light is, is coming, is, is in this world. The greatest act of love ever, ever done, John is saying, is, is taking place. It is, it is going to happen. The, the creator becoming the created to save the created, not because of the creator's problem, but because of the created's problem. This is what's taking place, and that's what John wants us to see and to realize. And, and what we would expect in this statement, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, what we would expect to happen in the rest of these verses is simply this, and a party's going to take place. Right? What we would expect to see and what we should see is in creation was getting ready for it. They were excited for it. It was about to happen. The pomp and circumstance was going to take place. The parade, all these things, it's getting ready to happen. It's, it's going to take place. The fanfare that should be expected should just be astonishing. We see this some in our culture, don't we? I've, I've seen this. It doesn't happen a ton, but you will see maybe a a really famous author of a book that has a very large following, all of a sudden this author is going to be at some bookstore or at something to, to sign some books. And what happens? A lot of people go. They want to see the one who created this book that they love and that they've enjoyed, maybe, maybe since when they were a child or whatever it might be, or, or the director of some movie or whatever it might be. Or maybe it's uh, somebody who writes uh, music and, and they want to see this person who can create this. And so there's a great amount of fanfare. There's a great amount of applause and excitement that's going to take place. Why? Because the one who thought this up is going to be here and I get to meet them. Ha, I get to see them or maybe I get to shake their hand or they're going to sign my book. That's, that's what happens. That's what takes place today. And so we would expect that here scripturally. <laughs> On Wednesday we had a concert here. And lo and behold, the, the singer wrote a book. He, he wrote a children's book. And do you want to know what happened when he said that from the stage? I was in the hallway. A bunch of people went out and bought his book. They didn't know what the book said. Right? They just knew it was a kid's book. And they knew, I like that guy. He wrote a book. I'm going to go pay $25 and buy his book. That's, and that's what they did. Why? Because they were excited. I'm not saying there was anything wrong with it. They were excited. They liked what was happening. And they're like, oh, I, I might like this too. And so they went and they did this. Well, again, we would think if the creator of the world, the, the true light, which gives light to everybody, is coming into the world, man, it's got to be an exciting time. Yet we get to verse 10 and we see this isn't the case, isn't it? Verse 10 starts and it says, he was in the world. So before John was saying he's coming into the world, but John is kind of shifting focus now because he's saying he's here. He was in the world, right? No more waiting. In fact, he has come. It is a, it is a done deal. The advent has happened. He, he has 
arrived. And he says, but yet the world was made through him. We've talked about this quite a bit already. John comes to this again, which he already did in verse 3, right? He really wants us to understand that the, that the one who all of creation was made through has entered into this creation. You see, this would, this would cause the reader to ask the question, why has he come? Why is this taking place? And John's going to answer that question throughout his, throughout his gospel, and we'll talk a little more about that. But here's the sad reality of verse 10. Yet the world did not know him. So you have the creator in the world. John's reminder, remember, everything was made through him. He's the catalyst of all of it. People, the reason you breathe isn't because of your lungs. I mean, yeah, it, the means by which he works is your lungs. The reason you breathe is because Jesus lets you breathe. The reason you walk is because Jesus lets you walk. Right? All these things is because of Christ. And John wants us to know all this is made through him. And guess what? When he got here, the world did not know him. This really is one of the saddest lines in all of this prologue, and verse 11 really will add to it, as we'll see in a moment. But the world not recognizing the one who all the world was created through is sad to read, isn't it? How would the world not recognize him? How would the world not celebrate him? Now John at this point is talking about the, the world, right? Everybody. But as we get to verse 11... It becomes even more sad. It gets worse. Because in verse 11 he says, He came to his own. John wants it to be very clear that Jesus came to the Jews for the Jews, for his people. You see, this is God's chosen people. We, we know this. Uh, we see this in the Old Testament. And Jesus himself would say these same sort of things. There's a, there's a passage in Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 15. And this has always been um, an interesting passage for me. And I, I want to read verses 21 to 24. I want, to, I want you to see this truth that Jesus himself would say he came for the Jews. And he does it kind of in an astounding way. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Now, it's probably already on the screen, maybe, so that you... No, no, it's not. Verse 24 is cut off there. That's good. What would you expect Jesus to say here? I mean, we would expect a loving Jesus to say, guys, you need to calm down. Stop being mean to this woman. Bring her to me. But in fact, what he says in verse 24, says that he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is telling this woman, I'm not here for you. <laughs> You're not one of the chosen people. I came for the Jewish people. Now, I know that when we hear this and when we read this, it is an off-putting passage. It makes us feel maybe a little queasy about what Jesus is doing here. Yet it does show us that he was sent for his people first. And that's what John is pointing out. He came to his own, John says. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him either. That's what we see here. 
Sadly, the the Jewish people that he would come for, Israel, they would not receive him. So much so that they would end up killing him. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 21 through 26, we we see this play out. We, We see his own not receiving him at the end of Matthew. It says, the governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This is how this story plays out. When John says he came to his own, yet they did not receive him. What what should have been a homecoming celebration. You guys have all been to that. High schools have homecoming celebrations. Colleges have homecoming celebrations. And part of that is parade, it's pomp, it's excitement. That's what we should have had here. The Creator has come into the world. Let's celebrate. But no, instead he went to his own and they would not receive him so much so that they would crucify him. And so instead of a parade with floats and my favorite parades are the ones where they throw candy, free candy. It's really the only reason to go, in my opinion. We don't have that. Instead, we have a parade through town with a man with a cross on his back carrying it to his death. That's the parade that our Creator receives from his own. You see, it's it's so hard for us to even imagine this happening, I think. Imagine seeing your children. You you see your children and them not knowing who you are. Who are you? And in just a short time, not only do they not know who you are, now they know who you are, and what they want is they want you out of their life. They don't want you to have anything to do with them. And they'd be willing to do anything to get you out of their life. That's that's similar to what we have going on here. They did not receive him. And so at this point, it seems pretty bleak. We go from John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world to his own people and those people wanting nothing to do with him. But we know not all is lost because we still have verses 12 to 13, don't we? And in verses 12, we have that word that usually is a drastic change in Scripture, don't we? It says, But to all who did receive him, You see, not all is lost because there are some who did receive him. Jesus didn't come in vain. There were those who would receive and accept him. And John shows us at the beginning that the story isn't as bleak as it it seemed at first. There are those who are going to love Jesus and receive him. We, We see this in the Gospels, don't we, as we... Read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We, we see people who came to Jesus and who, who wanted to be a part of Jesus and who trusted in Jesus. And so there are those who did receive him. And John talks about what that looks like. Those who received him, who 
believed in his name. Now, this is important to receive Jesus, is a belief in his name. And we would say, well, a belief in his name, what does that mean? Well, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to a couple Sundays ago because it, it means what he talked about in verses 1 through 3. That Jesus came, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that eternal, divine, all these things are so important to believe on the name of Jesus. You, you must hold to that. That's what we talked about in the first sermon in this series. You can't, you can't just say, I believe in Jesus as one of many. No. No. I believe in Jesus as just a really good religious example for us to live by. No, then you don't believe in him. That's not what it's saying here. You must believe on his name. Well, what does his name represent? Well, John has told us in, in the first three verses. The word made flesh and dwells among us. These are the things that we must believe in. And so a trust in what? In his accomplished work for us. And saying, Jesus lived the life I could not. He died the death that I deserved. He took all of this on himself. And this is the name that I believe in. This is what it means to look at the promises of God and to trust in the promises of God. These are those who receive him. That's what John is talking about, beginning in verse 12. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name. This is what I would beg of all of you to do this morning. If there was some way for me to do it for you, I would do it for you. But the Bible is very clear. This isn't something that I can do for you. This isn't something your parents can do for you. This isn't something anybody can do for you. This is something you have to do. You have to believe in his name. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you say, well, what do I get out of the deal? What happens if I believe in his name? Well, John, John tells us next. He gave the right to be children of God. This is a big statement, and I, I want you to catch what John's doing here. He just said Jesus came for the Jews, and what did the Jews do? They rejected him. Rejected him. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, they, they are the children of God. Right? A child of God, a child of the Creator. See, the truth is, and I think this is surprising for people to hear, just because you're here this morning, just because you're breathing, you are not a child of God. Now, don't get me wrong. You are created by God. In a way, you are, you're owned by God. <laughs> you are His. He's, he created you. But that does not make you a child of God. Not everybody in here this morning has the right, when we bow to go to prayer, and to say, Father, don't have that right. Because there's only one way to be a true child of God, and that is through receiving the Son of God, believing in His name. And when we do that, we then are called children of God. And notice what John, he keeps going. He gave the right to become the children of God who were born, and we're going to stop there, because here John is pointing us forward to his conversation that he's going to have uh, shortly with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You remember that story? It's where the most famous verse of all, John 3, 16, it, it comes from there in John chapter 3. When Jesus would tell Nicodemus, you must be born again. See, he, he's saying that here. Born, and remember Nicodemus, a smart man, a learned man, a teacher of the people. And he, he would ask the question, 
How in the world does this happen? John 3, verse 3 through 4, it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes. You're going to ask him the same question. What? Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, imagine that. If someone tells that to you, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this guy's a lunatic. He can't be born a second time. That's what John is hinting at here, isn't he? You see, Nicodemus and us, we often think about something humanly possible, don't we? That's the only way we know to think. When, when somebody you know, suggests something to you, like, hey, I think we should go here. You think about it in human standards, don't you? You think, well, how much does it cost? How far away is it? How long is it going to take to get there? When, when are we doing this? i got to see if all of this is going to work out for me. None of you in your right mind, if you are sane at all, think, I'll just teleport there. I hope that doesn't cross your mind. I'd like for that to exist one day, but it doesn't right now. And so you don't factor that in at all. None of you, when you're planning a vacation, think travel's free. Well, why? We'll just teleport. No, you think in human standards. You think, all right, plane tickets are going to cost this, or gas is going to cost this. You try, to, you try to figure it all. And that's what Nicodemus is doing here. He's thinking in human standards. He's saying, how is this humanly possible? But that's the point. John says, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We notice John is pointing to what Jesus is pointing Nicodemus to as well. He's saying, oh, this being born isn't of your own doing. <laughs> this isn't something you can do. Right? This, this isn't something that you can, can physically do. You see, he goes on to tell Nicodemus in verses 5 through 8. It says, Jesus answered, after, after Nicodemus says, what, am I supposed to enter my mother's womb again? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What's Jesus telling Nicodemus there? He's saying, Nicodemus, this is a work that only God does. Just like the wind. God makes the wind. God has the wind going. You can't do that. Only God can do this work. Only God can make somebody be born of water and of Spirit. It's not a task that you can do. And John is pointing us to that here. Oh, it's not of the flesh it is only of God and that's how it ends in verse 13 but of God it is the work of God in us that shows us the light that quenches the darkness once and for all it's not because I'm smart enough to figure it out it's not because of anything within me no it's because God in his grace lets me see who Jesus is it's God and His grace who lets me see the fullness of it. To believe and to receive His name wholeheartedly. You see, in the story of the, that Canaanite woman that I read earlier, 
I only read half of it. Because at the end of the story, Matthew 15, verses 25 through 28, right, we know that Jesus said to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's, what, that's how he responded to her. But in verse 25 it says, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you, de as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You see, the story of the Canaanite woman is our story in here today. I don't know how many of you are Israel by blood. I don't know if any of you are. I'm not at all. And so when I read in the Bible that Jesus came for his own, I realize I'm not that. I'm not his own. And so I very much so am the Canaanite woman pleading out again and again, Lord, help me. I, I, have, I have no hope. And the response that I should get back from Jesus because he came to his own was, you're not, you're not mine. But yet, thankfully, when John would say his own would not receive him, it said, but there are those who do receive him which opens it up for you and for me those who do receive him you see it's not about the physical blood that I have in my body it's not about going to ancestry.com and spitting in a tube and hoping please show I'm partially Jewish no it has nothing to do with that he says you got to be born of water and spirit and that's only something God can do and so this morning, we have this great privilege of being offered what John was offering to everybody. It still is offered for us today. Listen, the light has come into the world and it's here for everybody. For everybody. Would you be willing to receive it? Would you be willing to believe in his name? Would you be willing to trust in Jesus? See, that's what makes him relevant. I was listening to a sermon this morning, even in, even in coming here. If, if Jesus isn't fully God, if he isn't fully man, then yes, his death 2,000 some years ago doesn't do anything for me. But what the Bible claims is that Jesus is fully God. 100%. Not part of it, not a portion of God. 100% God but also came, he was 100% man. And because of that, he was able to do what you and I can't, and that is to satisfy the law completely and to pay the penalty the law requires for those who do not uphold the law, which is you and I. That is why Jesus dying 2,000 years ago can make a difference in your life completely. Now, if we don't believe that, again, we don't believe in any of this. There's no point to this. But if that is true, it means everything. It means that the light has come into the darkness, but the light is for everyone. You see, that is something to praise God for, isn't it? It's something to praise God for that in that count with that Canaanite woman, in the end, 
you are healed. Your daughter is healed. Go. We see that her faith made, helped with her daughter getting healed. And it's the same for us this morning. The Bible tells us by grace, through faith, you can be saved of your sins and forgiven and be called a child of God. Well, like I said a little bit ago, I hope that for some of you, this is just a reminder, but I'm not ignorant to the fact that there are those who are here, maybe weekly, maybe quite a bit, and you never really have trusted in Christ. And my prayer is that this morning you will. My prayer this morning is that God will help you to see the truth of who Jesus is, and you will be one of those who, who received him, and that you are now a child of God. It's not some magic, it's not some special word you need to say, it's just a belief in him and what he has done, and I, I hope that you'll do that this morning if you never have. I hope that if that's the case, maybe you'd want to talk to me or one of the other pastors, or maybe you came with somebody who you trust, you could talk to them a little bit more about it. Not because we have to know, but just because we would like to praise God for what he's doing in your life. I want to bow together and pray. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God this morning. However, however you see fit, we normally sing a song, and that's what we'll do again. We'll close with the song, and that gives you an opportunity to respond. Maybe while we sing that you could just pray where you are or whatever uh, you feel you need to do to respond to the word of God uh, this morning. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it in our hearts and in our lives this morning. God, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son into this world. God, it is appalling to see how he was not received. But God, we know that in our own lives, we often will push Christ away as well. Even those of us who've trusted in Christ for years and years and years, still, still we fall, still we fail. But God, I thank you that you still love us. Bible tells us that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, we, we thank you for that. God, we, we praise you that you allow us to be called children of God, not of our own merit, not because of what you saw in us that was worthwhile to help the kingdom or to help your family. No, just simply because of your love for us. So God, as we sing this last song, we want it to be praised to you. Help us to praise you. God, for many of us, that needs to be the response to your word this morning, just simply praising you. And so as we're led by those helping us this morning, help us to sing uh, this song to you and do just that, to praise, to worship, and to honor you. Help us now, we ask God in Jesus' name.